Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings to all of you Planeswalkers and Spellcasters. It's great to have you joining us here in the Unlucky Lounge for another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master and denizen of this here fine local establishment. And with me, of course, as always, more than a 2-2 for 2. He is a gentleman, a scholar. Also, he happens to be the best bear in the business. His name is Borok. Borok! We made it. We're on the other side of the pre-release and release weekends. How you feeling after all the fun magic, the gathering, playing, drafting, sealed pool, all the like? No, Borok, I agree. This set feels like something special. It's one of those cool combinations of top-down design with great limited gameplay, and we're going to delve into all of these fun things and share some experiential stories about my time with the pre-release and release weekends and maybe you'll relate a little bit to it. I certainly hope you do. But before we get into that, a few bits of upkeeping. First off, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out wherever you download your podcasts or, of course, at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. You can download all of our shows there and, you know, explore some other great topics from lifestyle, entertainment, sports, you name it. Also, please, please come and check us out on our social medias. My name is Draft and Draft Corey on Twitter. Uh, you can find me, comment on this post, or of course last week's podcast as well for a chance to enter into a raffle to win some Theros Beyond Death booster packs. We're still looking for people to comment and get into the conversation here in the Unlucky Lounge. So please find me at Draft and Draft Corey and join in the conversation. And of course, you can find me as well at my Patreon. That's Draft and Draft Corey, an MTG podcast. You type in the words, find us, and let's go ahead and have some fun for the long haul. That's enough with the housekeeping. Sorcerer's Broom is put away into the Conjurer's Closet, and let's get to the recounting and tales from the pre-release and release weekend of Theros Beyond Death. Now, in order to get to it, we of course got to go back into that story mode and we have to start with an important phase. So if you're out there, you have yourself a brew, a bottle, a glass, anything, hold it up and let's cheers together as we enter the untapped step. Ah, that first sip is always a treat. I don't know about all of you, but after a whole series of weekends playing magic, I kind of feel like I have a hop in my step. So we went with a classic beer brew. Borok, looks like you've got a beer there as well. What kind of beer are you sporting here today, bud? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you say the beast as in Milwaukee best? Borok, you're a bear of some real grizzly quality. But that actually plays a pretty apropos role as we go into the upkeep of our story time here with the Theros Beyond Death pre-release and release weekends. So after five years of sailing the open seas and making my living off of singing and dancing for the main old your pal Mouse Man himself, 
I decided that this was going to be an opportunity. I had the entire spoiler season to sit back, refresh Mythic Spoiler as much as I could, investigate, listen to podcasts, read articles. I was so excited to engage in this Theros Beyond Death pre-release and release weekends. I just remember all those times going back into Scars of Mirrodin or the Return of Ravnica sets, gathering with all my friends, making these plans for weeks ahead, talking with each other, calling the pre-release time an extra Christmas. It's just the kind of friendship things that you formed, especially in my formative college years. So this was a moment that I was going to seize, I was going to capture, I was going to relive some of those iconic moments, even though I was far away from my friends. Hey, we got technology now. Everything's basically interconnected. So I wanted to go and have a real time with this, attend as many events as I could. And thankfully, all my various part-time jobs happened to just line up in such a way that I could actually have an entire pre-release weekend to enjoy some of these great magic events. And I got to do this despite the first Snowmageddon of the season. I was playing this pre-release and release weekend in the great state of Wisconsin, Go Pack Go. I apologize, I had to put the subtitle on that, it's just required by state, even though we lost epically against San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. Hey, it's not our fault that Aaron Rodgers is allergic to the NFC Championship game. Just once, I wish he would remember to take his Benadryl before playing. Well, I mean, he did once. That's how we got our Super Bowl championship. But I digress. Anyway, the snow was pounding down. It was falling all over the fields. This was perhaps the first big snowfall of the entire winter season. The winter had been relatively mild considering what Wisconsin brings to us. And as the snow fell, I pondered two thoughts. First off, I wasn't sure if I was at a Theros pre-release or I happened to wander into a Cold Snap pre-release. <laughs> Borok, you was cold as ice. But my second line of thought was that this snow, this weather, was really making me work to just be able to play. You see, it was so heavy we got about a foot and a half, maybe even close to two feet of snow between the two different weekends. What this does is add a good 15 to 20 minutes of driving for you to get to any kind of local store. I mean, my closest store that I go to is about 25 minutes away. And then I like to spread out my love to local game stores, so sometimes I drive 40, 45 minutes just to play some magic. And so I was dedicated to go, to perform, but most importantly, just to have a good time. And this included me fording through the pain of having my car stuck inside of snow. Almost ironically too. You see, on the Saturday pre-release weekend, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to play it smart. I'm going to leave the house early so that I can get there, I don't have to worry about being pressured into missing the event start time, and I'm just going to grab a coffee and have smooth sailing. Well, unfortunately this time around, it kind of worked against me because I arrived so early that my car actually got stuck in snow. Borok, it's not actually that funny. I, I just arrived too early. The snowplow hadn't even shoveled out the parking lot in front of the game store. But I was lucky. He did arrive, and he actually helped me get my car out of snow. I think this is the first time ever arriving so early I really got bit in the butt for it. 
So there we go, a little upkeep on my story, but let's talk about some more logistical things, some insights from Theros Beyond Death as we move onward to the main phase. All right, Unlucky Loungers, let's go and break down some of the events that I participated in during the release and pre-release weekends. I ended up competing in six different events, four of which were sealed decks and two of which were drafts. Overall, my record was X and 1, so I only took one whole match loss. I'm not trying to brag, but when formats are like this one, where all the cards work cohesively as a whole, and certain cards work better in other decks, I tend to see the picture. I love drafting a deck and not just a ham sandwich, although a good ham and Swiss sandwich is pretty delicious. Now, when it comes to what my loss was, well, we can all say it together. I lost to the mythic Kiora Best the Sea God. Man, that card is something else. The format's slow enough to support it, and when your opponent just puts it on the battlefield, you already have to deal with an 8-8 hexproof. And then every other phase it just keeps getting better and keeps getting better until you're just left in a pile of wow, what just happened? But hey, you walk away from that game and you realize it's okay, you lost to Mythic, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> I'm fine. It's okay. It's okay, buddy. I'm just being overdramatic. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the limited decks that I put together. Now, of course I had a chance to put together Green Escape. Some black and blue splotch in there for self-mill feels great. When you escape a card, you feel really up on value. And the one card that really caught me off guard was Loathsome Chimera. Oh my gosh, that card, super good. It gets that four power in there. It escapes for a relatively reasonable cost, both on the mana and the number of cards to escape from it. And on top of that, it triggers all of your power for greater cards. The one that I walked away from that I was like, I will always first pick this happily. There's nothing else stronger. Furious Rise. I mentioned it before in previous episodes, but I had a chance to draft this four power deck. It was like a, a green red splashing for Utropia and Shimmerwing Chimera. It was satisfying. Every turn you get a new card and you can play the lands you get off of Furious Rise. I'm sold. If I can ever just play big chunky creatures like Voracious Typhon, Loathsome Chimera, and then just get rewarded by getting more cards off of Furious Rise, sign me up. One of my favorite interactions I got to play this weekend. Oh, but during the pre-release weekend, the one that I really adored in my third sealed event, I got to put together a red-white aggro deck. Now, for those of you who have played a lot of sealed, you know that the aggressive strategy tends to not work so well. You really have to open up a certain set of cards in order to make that nice curve work. And I just so happened to have found that aggressive set of cards. In fact, I posted a deck picture on my Twitter. Go and take a look at some of it. But I called it Love the Attack Step. And man, oh man, did I do so. Underworld Ragehound, the 3-1 that must attack each turn and escapes and becomes a 4-2. Unbelievably high amounts of fun. Trade it off early, if not they take a bunch of damage, then 
you once in a while put on an aura, Iroas's blessing, or aspect in mana core. You just keep tapping sideways. You apply the pressure. You make your opponent go on the back heel. And when everyone's trying to dirtle in a seal format and you're just smashing face, it feels real good. And I even had to go against like other aggressive decks or ones with Gravebreaker Lamia. That's the 4-4 lifelink for 5 that entombs something and makes your spells cost one less out of the graveyard. Oh, it felt good to take down a solid lifelink card like that. So red-white, I was actually pretty, pretty satisfied by. I don't think all the pseudo-heroic cards are quite there, like Hero of the Games, the 3-2 for 3. Not my favorite, but I think there's other good ones, and it's going to make this deck, especially when you draft it, become quite pungent. So keep an eye out for that. I gave you some insights on this deck in my last episode, so go and take a listen to that. Another archetype I had a ton of fun with was blue-white auras. I ended up with a deck that had three Heliod's Pilgrim, and just end up finding a bunch of random pacify-like effects going into pack 3. One with stars, dreadful apathy, ichthyomorphosis. I'm tutoring for removal spells, and just in case you were concerned, Cory, you put together a bunch of commons together. Don't worry, I had a Thassa. We, we did it. We put it together. Achievement unlocked. Ooh, and one other deck I want to talk about is the red-black sacrifice deck. I was kind of skeptical going into putting this deck together when I opened up my sealed pool. I did end up with a Kroxa, which by the way, is definitely going to be my newest favorite commander deck that I am very excited to build. But the whole concept of sacrificing creatures with a lamp pad, and I did end up with a Soul Reaper of Mogus, it was just gas. And one card I think that is so key for that deck is Discordant Piper. It's a 2-1 for 1 and a black. When it dies, you make a goat. This was such a pivotal role player. I ended up with 2 in the deck and could just sacrifice a bunch of things, drain them, block, sack. It felt like the kind of engine that you want to put together. Especially when I had a few escape cards that were really fueling into the overall strategy. Including my estimate for probably the number one uncommon of the whole set, Freka's Spawn. Oh, it just reminds me of the uh, Gravedigger uh, Freka from the original Theros, the three black green you bring back an artifact or, no, sorry, a creature or an enchantment when it enters the battlefield. So, Unlucky Loungers, those were some of my highlighted decks that I drafted from the release and pre-release weekends of Theros Beyond Death. If I could give an overall sense of what I think this format is, great deck building, high synergy, and good value built into where I think there's going to be shades of change throughout time. I've come to realize over the last few draft formats that what really makes a limited format stand out is when you see change in the format over time. We can see the base picture right now. We can see the escape deck. We can see the red-white aggro deck, the sacrifice deck, but I think that there might be some room for brewing in the future. How? can you put together those four power creatures in different ways, in different color combinations? How can we combine the sacrifice deck with the escape deck and make this ultra value sacrifice kind of combo-esque feel using the omens to fuel forward advantage in incremental ways? Mark my words, in maybe under four to five weeks, Theros Beyond Death is going to look and feel different than what it does now. So let's explore those changes and find out 
what could be in store for us as we continue to explore the Plain of Theros. Now before we move on to the attack step, I want to give a quick shout out to my local game stores that hosted some great events. This includes Game Universe in Brookfield, Cowabunga Comics in Oconomowoc. Yes, if you know how to say Oconomowoc, I know you've been to Wisconsin. And finally, Game Town in Waukesha. Thanks to all of the people that were there, the people that I played, the store owners, the event sites. I had a really fun time and the communities were so welcoming and opening. And in fact, I want to talk about some of these people I played with, some of the stories they brought into the Magic the Gathering environment. But before we do, I want to take a quick pause to talk about something that's really important. Now, I alluded to it before with my overdramatic crying at losing to Kiora Best the Sea God. But in all truth, when I started playing the game, I had a hard time sometimes coping with loss. Especially when you lose to someone who's top decking randomly or has this really powerful card that you just can't beat. It's hard to be able to settle into the ideas that you have no control over the results of a magic game no matter how hard you play. No Borok, that's exactly it. Frustration, anger, sometimes resentment at the game itself. Now absolutely Borok, you're allowed to feel how you want to feel, but you should also know you don't have to be alone in coping with these emotions. You got me as a friend, just like I have my friends, when I take a tough loss to vent to. But the truth is, you can also reach out for professional help at BetterHelp.com. So you may ask yourself, what is BetterHelp.com? You see, it's therapy on your schedule. It's an online website, a community where you can go right now to start communicating with a counselor. And even though this is a commercial it is important for us to find serenity within ourselves. Don't let Match the Gathering get in the way of your happiness, even if you get a tough beat. So do yourselves a favor and reach out to betterhelp.com backslash believe, B-L-E-A-V. And of course, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And all of my unlucky loungers, please make sure you visit betterhelp.com backslash believe, B-L-E-A-V, to get 10% off your first month. So go to betterhelp.com and start living a happier life today. Thank you, all my unlucky loungers, for that little sidebar. But let's get back to tales from the pre-release and release weekends of Theros Beyond Death. And we're going to tell some stories about great people I met and wonderful interactions that I garnered. And we're going to do that in the attack step. As the weekends continued to dwindle on, small little realizations came to me, being that this was my first set of release and pre-release weekends I had done in quite some time. To me... This whole event set, it's not necessarily mainly about playing the new cards, don't get me wrong. It's a pretty big part to it. However, I might argue something else. Something that goes beyond your first opportunity to play with the newest cards in Magic. Instead, I believe these live events at local game stores create the environment and bring people in because of the energy. It's literally a joining of people who love the same thing interacting with their love together. That energy, the excitement. You can feel everyone's on the edge hoping to maybe open that one card that they've been yearning at and looking at for months. It draws people in because of that interactivity. 
and the fact that we get to come together as a people who love this game and celebrate it. You see, I used to go to midnight releases all the time. When I was in college, I would go and wait for midnight releases of movies. Or I remember November in the year 2006, waiting outside of a Best Buy from about 10 p.m. all the way to 9 a.m. in the morning when the stores opened for the release of the Nintendo Wii. My goodness, the memories that me and my friends had for standing in that line in the dead of winter in frigid Minnesota. It was cold, we were exhausted, but did we care about the challenges that the weather and the conditions brought? Absolutely not. We had such a great time. We brought a frisbee, we had coffees to drink, we took turns sleeping in a car with no heat on because we had to save money because we're broke college students. That's a memory I'm never going to let go. And I think that these pre-release and release weekends, they can create the exact same type of memories. And so, I want to break down some memories that I'm going to take away from in this particular release. So first, on a personal level, I can quite clearly and confidently say that I am not as young as I used to be. I had a tentative plan in my mind to go and attend this midnight pre-release, and I thought to myself, you know, staying up till at least 4.30 in the morning sounds like one of the most abysmal choices I could possibly make. So I avoided that and instead went to one of my local game stores, 7 o'clock, sealed event, here we go, first chance to touch the cards. I walked up to the attic of the room, glancing around, seeing about 25 to 30 players, some people already deep, neck deep, in cracking Theros Beyond Death boosters. I'll admit, I took a second to glance and see what kind of goodies were possibly opened. But there was something that struck me in this pre-release compared to my past experiences that really resonated with me. This event was so much smaller. I just remember being inside of a massive game store. Hundreds of tables, so many players coming out for their first chance to acquire and interact with these cards. Now, this change, I think, comes about in a couple different reasons in a couple different ways. First off, pre-release and release weekends used to be unified into a single store, the one that was the most popular, that got the most sells, that was rated high in the uh, Watsi community. Somewhere around, I think, the early 2010s, they decided to change the system and allow any store to run a pre-release and release weekend. Now, I think this is actually for the best. It allows people who are much more local to experience these wonderful interactions, because quite frankly, not all Magic players can travel 30, 40 minutes in order to attend their newest set release weekends. So, absolutely, I love it. I appreciate that they spread the love out to all local game stores. But there is something to be said. The memory of so many people packed in gathered, meeting new people, others driving from locations, vendors coming in just for a pre-release and release weekend to try and get some semblance of getting forward in their company, in their games they're selling, in the vendorship, the third-partiness they're doing. All this is to say that I'm waxing and waning upon times past, and if I ever get a chance to see a big massive pre-release or release weekend, I would cherish that. Now certainly we do have Magic Fests and the Grand Prix inside of that, which acts as a great substitute, 
but I can't always guarantee going to a Magic Fest every year. But I can always remember having a chance to drive with friends to go to the pre-release and release weekends about three or four times in any given year. But I know this is for the best. It allows smaller local gaming communities seize their release weekends in whatever way they find best. And I support that. But now I want to talk about some really amazing player interactions. Once more, I'm back in that attic, looking around, and another thing strikes me. After about five years in my magic playing heyday, I noticed this room was populated with a much vaster and richer array of people, types of people playing. I saw so many more women playing the game. I saw so many different age groups. Now maybe this is because I'm getting older and I'm getting more wizened. But I really do think our player base is expanding and giving us the diversity in the game that is going to be healthy for its growth long term. So let me tell you about some of the different groups I interacted with. I saw no less than three different couples who played the game. That's awesome! People who find love, people that create a relationship still connecting over the game and going to local game stores. I had a really wonderful chat with this couple. They invited me in. We were talking and we just so happened to randomly talk about Brandon Sanderson books for like 20 minutes. And then coincidentally, I ended up playing uh, the gentleman in the relationship. I love my interaction with them and I hope to maybe see them and play with them again. Another thing that I noticed was that there were a much larger portion of women playing the game. This is amazing. I love that we get to expand the game because when we reach out to different communities, that kind of diversity allows us for greater forms of exploration and of course keeps the game healthy and alive. So that was great too. Another thing I found very interesting is that we had a whole new generation of magic players inside of the room. These were certainly the high school kind of group. The ones that had their local gaming community, the ones that they probably played in high school, and then made their way to their local game store. But one thing that I thought was very important, especially when I played them, which I played one in the latter part of my first pre-release event, he had primarily played the game online in Magic Arena. This is great. It's a good backdoor to get people into the local game stores so that they can interact, engage, and have fun. But one thing that I slowly began to realize is that this person's play, not necessarily as tight as it could be. I know this is true because I've had 15-ish so plus years of experience playing the game, and all of it has basically been through paper. Online, all of your different triggers, all of the different things that come from playing a card automatically go in the queue. In the game, you have to account for it yourself. Playing in paper does require more mental energy than playing online. Certainly, the keystrokes is a barrier of entry, but once you learn that, it's a really intuitive way from what I'm seeing in other people playing it. Don't get me wrong, I watch plenty of streams, and I love the online clientele. But I want to preface all this just by saying, for anyone out there who's an enfranchised player like me, who makes this a lifestyle game, for those newer players that come into those pre-release and release weekends, I just want to say, we have to make sure we support these newer players. While they might miss their triggers, it's our responsibility as well to make sure the game state is maintained. So if they have something that gives them a boon, just point it out to them. 
the online client would tell them. So why shouldn't we? There's a much greater value to us getting these players to begin to see how paper magic works. So they continue to come back into their LGSs, which supports the community, supports the stores themselves, and continues to grow our game in a healthy environment. From my point of view, I see it as my responsibility to help out these newer players who haven't played in real life as much to get over the barrier of entry and the mental energy that it takes to get the game in real life. Let's say, contrastly, we dagger them with every missed trigger or force them to come to realizations after the fact. Well, in that case then, wouldn't you not want to play if you were in their shoes? It just feels kind of stinky. So let the game be what the game is, and let's support these newer player bases. And I also want to give a shout out to the small high school age group of gamers that I was in this local game store. The one thing that really struck me is that they were full of respect and they were full of that youthful energy that I remember having when I first went into my original local game store. So I love that. Thank you to the younger players who were such a really positive and cool energy. Speaking of younger players, I want to give this really cool shout out. There's this little girl, I think she's about 10 years old. I apologize, I forgot her name. But she was one of those spitfires that was just running around the room, had a big smile on, and found whatever opportunity she could to throw out her love for the David Bowie classic film Labyrinth. She just randomly asked me, hey, what's your favorite film? I was like, uh, it's this film called Wet Hot American Summer. She's like, my favorite is Labyrinth. David Bowie is awesome. I'm like, girl, someone is raising you right. But there's one more interaction that I want to speak on. It was in round two of my first event, this 7 p.m. on Friday night. In round two, I played this patriarch of a family. He was a very cordial guy, very nice, and we played our game, and then as we began to play in between the rounds and between the games, he showed me the larger picture of what magic meant to him. You see, my unlucky loungers, he was not alone. He told me that this game was a way in which he could connect to his boys. You see, he brought, I think, three kids with him. One in their early 20s, late teens, and another one in their early 10s. They're from vastly different age groups, but yet, the game itself connects them all together. For them, this game isn't a super spiky, highly competitive kind of thing. It's about creating something cool, unique, and fun. In fact, he spent a good few minutes talking about one of his kids' super sick angel deck and how once it gets rolling you just can't stop it it's just so good they're not playing on this hyper competitive level they're not spending tons of money to play this card game instead they're doing it to connect to have fun to have this social interaction and help it work as a way to bring their family together and create wonderful boons of happiness and joy and go into these pre-release weekends I love that I think they're really playing this game right. And I'm going to take this as a really wonderful opportunity to remember that the people, the ways in which we interact with people, the gathering this creates is the most important part of the game. Those are some of the stories and people I interacted with during this pre-release weekend. So I want to wrap this all up in the end step. So friends, here in the end step, we're going to give you the TLDR, the Cliff Notes version of all the conclusions drawn from this episode. First off, 
I want to say that the pre-release and release weekends might be the first, probably second best form of casual limited magic there is. I mean, there's tons of exploration of the different interactions. There's high amounts of excitement and energy, a wonderfully rich diversity of different types of people and friend groups that come out to play, people you haven't seen for a long time. But perhaps one of the top reasons why? There's a ton of pack cracking. And man, if you've tuned in for a few episodes, you know that I love to open packs in a gratuitous way. Who cares about saving them for house drabs? Well, I kind of do. But I digress. Another thing I want to highlight here in the end phase is that pre-release weekends, well, they're not quite what they used to be. I do love that pungent kind of feel in the air of hundreds upon hundreds of people converging to one event locally to enjoy the first opportunity to play these cards, be it a massive gaming hall or convention center or maybe even the uh, sunset room at a local hotel, but that's a story for another day. But this one, it was unfortunate to see that maybe at max we had 25 perhaps 30 people at a given event. Now I mentioned this before, but I really do support the idea of giving all local game stores the opportunity to run a pre-release event. It works well for the people they're playing too. But I think there's another reason why these events have become less attended over the years. Now some may blame this on the rise of digital being such a big marketplace for the gameplay now. I mean, I get it, it's super convenient, why in the world would you want to add travel time when you can just sit behind a computer desk and play the game from the comfort of your own home? But I think that the form of the pre-release it needs to start to undertake another dichotomous change. We have the form. We know what it looks like. And we've certainly gone through a number of iterations, be it the pre-release packs or the old guild kits. They've been trying new things. But I really want to find a next step to make these events really worthwhile for people to come out to. Because you see, this game, it is a social environment. But let's give people motivation to get from behind their computer screens. And for some, take their first journey into actually playing the game in a social space. They're going to discover new things. So Wizards of the Coast, let's up the ante. Let's find some other way to support our local game stores. In this, the most important way that we can introduce the new cards, and that's of course with our wonderfully rich pre-release and release weekend events. But also, all my draft and drafters out there, my unlucky loungers, go out and support your local game stores. Run into a random Friday night draft, or even whittle away a few hours on a boring Wednesday. Keep an eye on local game store schedules. People love to get creative and run different types of events, and even if it's a bit off the wall or zany, we're trying. We're doing new things. We're having fun. And hey, we're getting those mystery boosters real soon coming this year, and who doesn't enjoy a random chaos draft every once in a while? Once more, quick reminder, we're going to get back to mystery booster fun time real soon here on Draft and Draft, so stay tuned. But most importantly, make your way out to the game stores to put the gathering back in magic the gathering well that brings us to the end of this tale from the pre-release and release weekend of theros beyond death but 
out there, I want to know how your events went. So go tweet at me, Draft and Draft Corey, or you can find me on Instagram at Corey Demon Enriquez, or of course on our Patreon, Draft and Draft, an MTG podcast. And know that I'm still keeping our sweepstakes open. All you have to do is reach out with your account on any of these social media platforms. Tweet at me either from episode 6 or episode 7, this one, to put your insights, tell us your stories, and become part of the narrative. And you'll enter into that sweepstakes to take home some Theros Beyond Death packs yourself. It's free to enter. Just touch the glass on your phone screen for a few little clickety-clacks and you could win some cool packs. And finally, a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts or, of course, at Believe.com for content around entertainment, sports, lifestyle, Magic the Gathering. Maybe there's something on Potpourri. Who knows? They have hundreds of shows to listen to, so tune on in. Well, I don't know about all of you, but I have found the bottom of my bottle, and so we've reached the end of this episode. So go out there, friends, make a few magic memories, and we'll see you next week here on Draft and Draft. Borok, let's pour ourselves one more. What do you say? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.